0: Uh, I don't have a Bible this morning uh, because I knew that we used the ESV here in the church, Uh, and so I ordered a large print ESV Bible, and when it came, uh, it said large print uh, on the cover, but when I opened it up, it's half the size of the Bible that I usually use, which, which is not a large print Bible and so I printed out the passage uh, in a piece of paper so if I'm if you see me flipping back and forth uh, that's what's going on let's stand together uh, as we read God's word Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 9 Luke writes there were some present at that very time who told him do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this big tree, and I find none. Cut it down, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would fall fresh on us this morning. We ask that by your grace you would capture our mind's attention and our heart's affection, that we might come to know more about Jesus, and that we might deepen our love for Jesus. May you be glorified in this time together, in Christ's name. Amen. You may see seated. A a number of years ago, when I was still pastoring, uh, at the end of a service, uh, I asked the congregation to stand so I could give the benediction, and as I gave the benediction, I noticed uh, that there was one man who was still seated. Uh, He didn't get up for the benediction, and so uh, that afternoon, I gave him a call to see if anything was wrong, Um, and he began to tell me that he thought I was the most arrogant, the most prideful person that he had ever met, and that he held me personally responsible uh, for all of the problems that this church was having. Uh, I didn't say much then, but three things uh, came out of that. The first one was uh, I felt really hurt and discouraged for uh, a number of days. Uh, but later on, I went back and I asked myself why did I feel that way? Uh, did did I not appreciate what what he had to say about me? Uh, did I think it was not true? Uh, because I always thought I was a pretty humble person, uh, which is a clear indication that I actually am not a humble person, uh, or you would never say that. Uh, so that was the first thing. I, I, I I looked at that and I said, it was what he said that really bothered me, not, not that uh, he was criticizing me. Secondly, I went to people that I trusted and I said, am I an arrogant and, and prideful person? Is that the way that you see me? And again, later on thinking about it, I went, went back to what I said and said, why did I ask that? Was I looking for people to say, no, no, we don't think you're an arrogant and prideful person? And then the third thing, uh, which should have been the first thing, was uh, I went to the Lord, uh, and I came submissively before him, and I said, Lord, is it true uh, that I'm a prideful and arrogant person? Would Would you let me know if that's true? Uh, And, you know, God always answers those kinds of prayers. Uh, So he began to probe into my heart uh, to show me that, in fact, I was a prideful person. Uh, And that what I had done in terms of feeling badly and then asking people for affirmation was just another uh, demonstration of how prideful I really was. Uh, Pride has many faces. And and one of those faces uh, is spiritual pride. And in this passage, Jesus is going to, as the Lord did to me, probe the hearts of those who are his listeners, and your hearts as well. And he's going to do it by asking a question, uh, by uh, issuing an exhortation, and by providing. Um, What was the third one? Providing an illustration, yeah. Uh, As you may know, in in the ancient world, and maybe in the modern world as well, uh, suffering is also seen as the result of sin. So that if you're suffering terribly, it means that you have sinned greatly. Uh, And you see this in the book of Job over and over again where Job's friends, who are supposed to be coming as his comforters, uh, become his accusers uh, because he's suffering so greatly that they just assume that there has to be some great sin in Job's life. And, and so through the most of the book of Job, they're trying to get him to admit uh, what this great sin is that has led to his suffering. And you see it also in the New Testament. Uh, in John chapter 9, uh, when the disciples come across a man who was born blind, the first question that they ask is, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? This, this issue of sin being the result of, suf- or su- of suffering being the result of sin uh, is wrapped up uh, in this passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, It seems that some of the people that were in the crowd with Jesus wanted to speak theologically, Uh, and so they raise an issue. Uh, Jesus shows that they're mistaken, uh, but he moves on to what his real concern is, and that is he wants them to confront their own heart attitudes. I wonder as we begin to look at this passage this morning where you are, Do you want to think theologically uh, or are you in a position where you would say uh, i want the lord to confront my my heart this morning okay jesus begins by asking a question actually he asked two questions but the answer to the second one is the same as the first Uh, some people who were in that crowd told this horrific story uh, of how the Pilate came and slaughtered Galileans who were in worship, so that their blood was mingled with the blood of the sacrifices." I wonder if if you were a part of that crowd and and you heard that statement, what you would think. Why why did they tell Jesus this? Was, Was he lacking information? Uh, so that he didn't know that this had happened, and they're, they're trying to fill him in. Uh, that's possible, but I don't think that's the reason because of the way that Jesus answers. Uh, they, they maybe wanted a theological explanation of how these things could happen and how the God of the Bible could still be true. Uh, Jesus was a master teacher, an educator, and so he often got his points across to people by asking questions, and that's what he does here. Uh, Knowing that that they believe that suffering is the result of sin, he challenges their thinking with a question in verse 2. It says, and he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. So he he was challenging their viewpoint there, and his point wasn't that the Galileans that were being talked about were innocent, but his point is that they are not more guilty than any of the rest of us. Jesus then uh, follows with a scenario of his own, uh, about people being killed by a tower that fell on them. Uh, again, he challenges their thinking in verse 4. He says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Uh, so he is putting before them their own position and saying no to it. Um, So, one was the act of an evil man perpetrating evil and suffering. The other one was what we might seemingly call a random accident, uh, although the Puritans probably would have called it a hard providence because of their commitment to the providence of God. The danger in holding this view that suffering is the result of sin Is that it easily becomes a form of self-justification. I'm not suffering, you are, so obviously I'm more righteous than you are. And Jesus is confronting that uh, spiritual pride uh, that rises up out of that position. Now perhaps this morning you don't believe Uh, what these people believe. But have you ever heard a message and thought, wow, that was really good. I hope they, or he, or she heard that because they really need to hear. Uh, And and I would confess, I, I have had that thought. But if you don't move to the next step of saying, Do I really need this? Is my heart open to to what is being said here? Then you have engaged in spiritual pride, just like the people who Jesus was talking to that day. Afterwards, Jesus moves to an exhortation. He's not interested in theological explanations for why these things are happening, uh, but he gives the same response Unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. What does he mean? (laughs) Uh, He's calling people to connect the tragedies that happen in the world with their own heart. To say when a tragedy occurs in your life or a tragedy that you're aware of, he's saying, what do you think? how do you respond and how should you feel and the same thing is what he's saying to you this morning that when tragedies are happening in your life or just tragedies in the world that you're aware of uh, he wants to know uh, what do you think about what should you think how should you respond and how should you feel when jesus calls them to repent Uh, Just a little aside here, Um, the Gospel of Luke uses the word repent or repentance 14 times. Uh, The Gospels of Matthew and Mark combined use it 10 times, and the Gospel of John, surprisingly, doesn't use the word at all. That in all the Gospel of John he never talks about repenting, but when Jesus is calling people to repentance Uh, He's calling for a change of heart and a change of mind. He's calling for a turning from sin. He's calling for a change of action now that they seek to follow Jesus. Uh, and, And this repentance is set against perishing in this passage, which sometimes is also contrasted with eternal life, as you know from John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what he is really calling them to do in repentance is to be responsive to the gospel. The temptation that tragedy uh, is to withdraw and to objectify, so when, it, when a tragedy occurs, we want to we withdraw ourselves from that, thinking about that tragedy, uh, and objectify it, put it out there uh, so that it doesn't touch us in here. We want to try to convince ourselves that these kinds of things would never happen to us, but these tragedies are reminders that, in fact, they could happen to you. Sudden removals are like a warning, uh, and that's why Jesus wants you to connect it with your own heart, because it's a personal warning to you uh, about the fact that life is short uh, and it could end at any moment. Uh, The the people who who were walking to worship in this passage uh, and were slaughtered by Pilate uh, the people who were walking down the road and had a tower fall on them—they uh, never expected uh, that tragedy would explode into their life in this way. And when you get up in the morning, if you if you're still working, uh, and you get in your car and you drive to work, you don't expect tragedy to explode into your life. However. Uh, in a fallen world that is populated by sinners that have all kinds of brokenness uh, and added to that uh, evil uh, wickedness, spiritual forces of wickedness working against us, it, it would seem almost impossible that anybody could get through life without a tragedy at some point. It's almost unavoidable just because of the kind of world that we live in. Uh, This may seem like a downer sermon to you, (laughs) talking about tragedy and making you try to think uh, about the things that we normally don't want to think about, Uh, but it really isn't. Uh, Listen again to, to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, No, I tell you, twice he says this, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus' exhortation to repent is also an invitation to repent. He is saying to the people who are in his audience, you were not one of those people who were killed by Pilate. You were not one of the people on whom the temple fell. So he is inviting them in an exhortation kind of way uh, to, respen- to repent, uh, that the opportunity to repent for them has not passed. Uh, and so that is a hopeful thing, that they can escape being in, in the perishing group uh, by, by repenting. So this morning, the good news is Uh, that what comes to us as an exhortation and we we look at it as command uh, is also an invitation Um, it it could be that you have never responded to this invitation that you have never believed in Jesus that you have never trusted uh, that he died for your sins and you've never received his offer Uh, of eternal life. You can do that this morning right in your chair. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes. Uh, You can just say to the Lord, I I want to respond to what you have to say. Ask the Lord, awaken my heart. We, We sang about this this morning. Awaken my heart. So that I can see. Uh, Grant me a heart to believe in you." Uh, When you suffer and you go through adversity, uh, sometimes God gives you the what. You know what it is that that he's doing. Uh, And sometimes he gives you the how, Uh, so you understand a little bit of the way it's working. Uh, But he often withholds the why for things. And and we tend not to like that. (laughs) Because we think, if I only knew why it was happening, then I could get some comfort and consolation from what is going on, because I understand why. Uh, And not knowing why sort of rests away and seizes from you Uh, that comfort and consolation that you're seeking, Uh, which is when we need to be driven to God uh, and faith becomes the bridge between the pain that I'm experiencing and the consolation that only God can give. And we can believe that there is a good God who is providentially in control. Uh, John Newman Newton, who most of you are familiar with, writer of Amazing Grace, uh, he was speaking about suffering and adversity, and he said this, everything is needful that he sends, nothing can be needful that he withholds. Okay, let me read that again. Everything is needful that he sends, nothing can be needful that he withholds and this is sometimes where we were one into we run into trouble because we say this thing is needful uh, in order for this situation to be righted. Uh, but God is withholding it from me Um, I don't think John Newton would want to argue with you he would just say the same thing again everything is needful that he sends Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Uh, So Jesus deals with them in terms of questions uh, and helping them to see uh, their spiritual pride. Uh, He gives an exhortation, which is also an invitation uh, for people to become part of his people. Uh, And then he provides an illustration. Uh, When editors put together Bibles, uh, they try to help us uh, by putting um, little titles uh, in the Bible. Uh, and, and so, a lot of times, those titles are very helpful, uh, and, and they help you to go kind of in the right direction when you're reading. Uh, but sometimes, uh, they're not that helpful, uh, and this is one of those cases where that's the case. This parable of the barren fig tree uh, is not something that Jesus adds on later. This is a part of what he's talking about here. So it's closely tied to that. Uh, And the illustration is um, pretty simple. There's an owner uh, who has a vineyard, and he's been looking for fruit from that vineyard for three years, but he hasn't found anything. Uh, he has an expectation of fruitfulness, but that expectation is not being fulfilled. The owner's intent then is to cut the fig tree down, uh, but the vine dresser appeals to him and says, uh, "If if you give me a year, uh, let me see if I can help it to bear fruit." Uh, so, in the context of what we're talking about this morning. I think that the meaning of the parable is fairly clear. In the same way that Jesus uh, calling people to repent uh, is an expression of mercy, uh, in the same way uh, this fruitless tree receives mercy. Uh, It has a chance to try to produce fruit and not to be cut down because of the appeal of the vine dresser. Uh, Repentance uh, is not a one-time decision that you repent when you come to Christ uh, and then you don't have to worry about repentance after that. The Christian life is really a life of repentance Uh, and that initial uh, uh, signal of your belief by repenting uh, is supposed to issue Uh, into a race-generated and spirit-empowered fruitfulness in your life, to be able to produce uh, the things that God wanted to produce, just like here in this uh, illustration. Uh, This morning, perhaps you have already repented and believed, uh, and so you have that covered. Uh, But that initial expression, as I've just said, Uh, needs to lead to grace-generated and spirit-empowered fruitfulness in your life as an evidence of that repentance. Uh, And if we were to flip the repentance coin and see the faith that's on the other side of that coin, uh, it, it might be said in this way, that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Uh, And by the way, that's the message of of the book of James in the New Testament, that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. One final point as we close this morning, uh, and that is that we need to remember that God is no stranger to tragedy, to suffering, and to unbridled evil. Uh, Those who are sufferers of unanticipated tragedy like the people who were at worship and the people who had the tower fall on them uh, they had no choice Uh, they just became victims uh, of tragedy but Jesus had a choice he could choose to go through the tragedy of the cross and the torment that that would hold for him Or choose not to do that. So while we become victims of tragedy, he is a person who stepped willingly into that tragedy uh, tragedy, uh, in order to be able to have us undertake a relationship with God. And though Jesus never sinned, uh, he did suffer greatly, Uh, and your sin and my sin are the cause of that suffering. But having suffered, he becomes the perfect high priest who is able to bring consolation and comfort to his own who are suffering. And I'd like to close this morning uh, by reading one of my favorite passages that ties in with what we've said this, this morning. It's Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this passage. We thank you that you are a self-revealing God, uh, that you have revealed to us the truth about yourself and have shown us the truth about ourselves. Uh, So we thank you this morning for the gospel, for how amazing it is and for the great gifts of goodness and mercy and help in our times of need in christ's name we pray